excited to be here today again to teach the Word of God. We have a really hard message this morning. At least it was hard on me, and this message could be hard on you just like it is on me. So let me pray for us, and we'll get started. Lord, I just pray for the healing that needs to come physically to those of us who are just struggling with stuff that happens seasonally, and yet there are those there. There are those, Lord, who are struggling with uh, severe and terrible, awful diseases, the healing of which can only come from you. And so, Father God, we are mindful to keep lifting them up because we believe in the power of prayer and we believe you still heal. We absolutely believe that. And so, Lord, as we get into a message about the most powerful and heinous weapon in all the word of God and how we use it for the destruction of others and even ourselves, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just come and give us the courage to listen and to open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us today. Well, the message, as I had originally laid it out, the title that is, had been on my mind for months and off and on in my journal, i just write things down about it because that's how the Holy Spirit speaks to me. And that's how I get things to write or teach, whether it's a message for you or a book and whatever it is. My journal where all that stuff starts and my quiet time with the Lord. So in this case, it was any last words, any last words, because words are such a powerful tool or they're a powerful weapon. The part that I want to start with today is that part that I called true convictions of a murderer, true convictions of a murderer. And that murderer is you and me. And I know people think that's strong, maybe don't like to hear that, but it's the truth and you'll understand why. If you saw the graphic that I created for this message this week, it's a picture of a, a prisoner kneeling, chained and kneeling by his bars. And not just, you can mock those things up and change them around and it says a, a, a name place on the orange jumpsuit. And I put in there your name here because we are, as we're going to see, the murderer in God's eyes using this weapon, the most powerful and terrible, awful, strong weapon, the tongue, our tongues. And I know that you know that for yourself. And so I hope you'll lean in and listen hard as we let the Holy Spirit guide us through this. Now, this is going to be a little true confession here. And I've had trouble with this. Um, and, and most of us do as kids. We're smart Alex. So we say things and it, we're kids. But as we get to be adults, we're supposed to grow out of that and, and guard our tongues, watch our tongues. And, and, and I, I got radically saved after having been raised as a young Baptist kid and walked the aisle and uh, got dunked. And as I share my book that, by the way, is finally being released. Hallelujah. But share my testimony in that, and part of it is that I really think I was truly saved later in life, more in my 20s, and I shared that in there. And I, we just finished a very strong series asking that question, how do you know and do you know that you truly are born again? And if you've missed that, you need to go back and watch all five of those videos. It's the most important thing you'll ever watch or listen to, bar none. It is the most important. You have to answer that question, how do you know? that you're truly born again in Christ. You know, I just always was a funny guy. I was the wittiest in my high school, quick tongue, quick wit. But sometimes as guys, you know, you're snapping at each other, you're 
able to cut people and jab people. And we laugh it off. It's a lot of fun. But, you know, a lot of people don't respond to it that way. They just don't. They take it very, very personally. And and people like me that are insensitive to that didn't know, weren't thinking about that, would never intentionally hurt someone. Well, well probably would, most of the time not. And so that tongue can become that, that pointed stick you just kind of jab people with. But as you get older and you're getting married, now you're building a relationship with your wife and your tongue and the language that you use is so important. And and even though you've dated for a while and you think you know each other, you don't really know each other until you get married, until you've been in those those first months and years of really getting to know someone in every sense of the word. And 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 all of a sudden you learn that those words, that language is more than jabbing and sticking. It becomes more like a sword. It becomes more like something that, that really wounds. And that's not what we intend, but that's what happens. And so I found that to be true in my own marriage and with my children. Sometimes as we go through some of these verses, you'll see that some of the language and words we use with our children, and I'm not talking about profanity. I haven't used profanity since I was a kid. My children and my wife have never heard me use profanity. I suppose it's better than someone who uses profanity all the time. I get that part, but it doesn't make me any better doesn't make me any uh, better in terms of the eyes of God because the words that I use sometimes are, are just as damaging as profane words. And so that's what got this whole thing started, just my own confession in time of repentance and confession and weeping because God takes this seriously and, and we must as well. So I don't know where you are in this, but we're going to just dive in and look at the word of God and hear what he has to say. We're going to begin with one of the most famous treatises in the Bible on the tongue. And if you're Christian and you know anything about the Bible, you'll know that James 3 is that passage on the tongue, the most famous that I know of. And so I'm going to be reading from James 3, verses 5 through 12. Writing. James, by the way, was the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, not James the Apostle. Actually, there were two apostles named James. So I'm reading James 3, 5. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, verse 6. The tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, I mean sin. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. In other words, our tongues can defile our entire body. It sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. In other words, it can be so intense and so um, hateful and hurtful that James writes it's set on fire by hell itself. It's a very strong and negative, dangerous statement. He goes on to say in verse 7, For every species of bird and beast, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. No one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the image, likeness of God. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. These things ought not to be this way. This is an amazing powerful lesson on the tongue. And again, he's talking about the tongue as a weapon, as a weapon of mass destruction, as I called it, a weapon of mass destruction, a 
The tongue can destroy and it can kill and it makes us murderers when we use in that way. You are murdering someone in the sense that you are destroying them. Words do that. The tongue does that. And so James goes through to warn us, that and he gives that great analogy about great ships, especially in that day. They weren't you know, driven by engines and motors. They didn't have that, but they were driven by rudders. But even the largest ones, just a small rudder, and if you've ever been in a boat with a rudder and you turn that rudder, you'll know that when you turn it, the ship moves. And it's amazing how a rudder works and how small it is relative to the size of a boat or a ship, and yet it maneuvers it. And that's what he's saying. The tongue, as small as it is, it's one of the smallest members of our bodies, isn't it? A very small appendage of our body. And yet with it, we can commit murder or we can give life. So we're going to look at those today as we look at some different verses that help us understand both ways. And again, my prayer through this has been that the Holy Spirit speaks to you, gets under your skin, gets in your heart to help you understand where this is a problem for you. I know it has been at some point somewhere with someone. So let's just move on through. And what I've done, we're going to look at some Proverbs. And, you know, Proverbs are written where there's the first part, we'll say, you know, give you part of the, the message. And then the other side of it is usually the second part, kind of an A and a B. And so what I've done, because we're going to look at this on words that kill, words that murder, how the tongue is used for that. And then I split these in two. So I'm going to give you the, the part that talks about how the, trunk, the tongue, tongue is a weapon of destruction. And then as we look at the transformation in a few minutes, we'll look at the other side of those verses. So I'm going to be giving you words from the one verse, but in two different sequences in the, in the message. I hope that's clear to you. So we're going to look first at some verses that are what I call the tongue as a weapon of mass destruction. That was a popular phrase um, a number of years ago for the people that are, I guess, more my age. And the first one is this. I call these the killer tongue. In Proverbs 12:18, and this one's near and dear to my heart, it used to be on my my screensaver years ago on a computer when I realized what a problem I had with this. There's one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword. There's one who speaks rashly like the thrust, the thrust of a sword, piercing and stabbing someone as if to kill them. You don't thrust a sword into someone just trying to move them aside or get their attention. You thrust a sword in someone and it inflicts death often, it inflicts either severe wounds or death. There's one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword. I shared with you a minute ago, I gave up profanity, and I certainly used it enough in college and high school as guys did, trying to be cool and stuff. It was foolish, stupid talk, but we did. And I did, all my friends did, and most people did. And throughout life, quite frankly, people just usually swear. They just do. A lot of people swear. I don't know, for whatever reason, I was very fortunate in my prayers. The Holy Spirit took that from me, gosh, 45 plus years ago. But as I said before, that doesn't have anything to do with the fact that my words aren't just as deadly, perhaps sometimes deadlier. Because I said there are, there are words, there are harsh words, harsh words. I don't have to use profanity and cuss you out. I don't have to use those words when I cuss you out. But I can dress you down or cuss you out and never use a word of profanity but they've been just as harsh. Harsh words will destroy people, will tear them down. I saw that in my own family. I saw that in my marriage. I saw that in my marriage. I was highly convicted about that. 
no profane words, just that harsh word, temper, attitude that are like the thrust of a sword, Solomon said, the thrust of a sword. Do you want to be taking a sword and thrusting it into your children? Do you want to be taking a sword and thrusting it into your wife? Is that what your intention is or into your husband? And the people in your family, is that your intention that you would take a sword and you would thrust it right through them so that you are right, so that you make your point, so that makes you look smarter or better, so that you get your own way? Is that what you would do? You don't have to use profanity. You use these harsh words that are like thrusts of a sword. And they kill. They kill and destroy. And you see that happen in marriages. Marriages fall apart when this continues to go, regardless of which side it's on. Sooner or later, someone's dead. They're dead. They become dead to you. And the marriage is destroyed and often over and it ends in divorce. Or children pull away or walk away as soon as they come or run away. It's one of the strongest verses. It's one of the... (laughs) It's one of the strongest verses in the Bible, as odd as it may seem to you, of all the wonderful scripture, but it's one of the strongest, most powerful ones the Holy Spirit ever used in my life, ever used in my life. And it didn't mean it didn't fail after that, but it got my attention to the point that, wow, do you really want to do that? Do you really want to speak so strongly, so harshly, just to be right, just to get your own way, just to dominate? just to be the big man, that you speak that kind of harsh language to people that you love. In Proverbs 15, similar words, it says, harsh words stir up anger. Harsh words stir stir up anger. The mouth of fools spouts foolishness. Perversion in its tongue crushes the spirit. A harsh word stirs up anger. And that's Proverbs 15, and it's from verses 1 and 2 and 4. Harsh word does stir up anger. When when you attack someone like that with harsh words, you get two responses, right? You might have learned this years ago in a psychology class, or you've heard it in business, or I don't know. I've heard it all my life. Fight or flight, right? Fight or flight. Two responses. People are going to fight back. They're going to turn and take you on, or they're going to turn and run. And I don't necessarily mean running physically. I'm talking about running emotionally. And this will happen with your children. Father, dad, mom, you need to understand that the best thing your children can do is stand and fight. But they won't. More often than not, they won't. They understand who you are and your parental authority. And if they defy it, that's a whole lot better than those who put it inside. Trust me, we know from experience. We've had children that responded both ways. It's a difficult thing to be. But it says a difficult place to be. A harsh word stirs up anger. The mouths of fools, fools, spout such foolishness. You are a fool to be talking that way. The Solomon, this wise king, is talking about foolishness. There's no wisdom in this. This is absolute, utter foolishness to speak to people this way. These harsh words. It's perversion, he calls it. Perversion in it crushes the spirit. Is that what you want to do? Is crush the spirit of your children? Crush the spirit of your husband or your wife or someone that you know and love? You want to crush their spirit just so you win? Just so you look better? Like standing over a dead body in the arena. It's a gladiator. Is that what you want? 
that what you want to look like? I don't think so. And yet, some of the words and some of the things we say and the, and the way we say them, ah, that's the key. It's the way we say them that come across just like you got that sword out and you're just right through. You think about that. You do more than think about it. You take it before the Lord. Then there's killing our neighbors. And this is interesting. A couple of verses here. In one of those, uh, in Proverbs 25, 18, we read this. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor, it's like using a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. One who bears false witness against his neighbor. What does that mean? Someone who speaks in a way that tears down someone's reputation. You know, the bearing false witness is actually lying against someone in court. That's the original meaning of that. When it's applied here, bearing false witness means I'm saying something that may not be true against you, and I don't know for sure, but I'm saying it out in front of other people, and it destroys someone's reputation. It tears them down. <laughs> That's sin. God calls that sin. It calls sin. It's like a club. <clears throat> it's like a sword. <clears throat> it's like an arrow shot through them. You see, these are weapons of destruction. These are weapons of destruction. This actually another one that applies to neighbors. And in Proverbs eleven nine, he wrote this: "The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor." The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor. These are linked in the sense that it's talking unkindly about someone. It's accusing someone of something that you may have done yourself. Very often when we accuse other people or we snidely say something about them that reflects on their character or things like that, we've done the same thing. We've done the same thing. There are very few things that you can accuse someone else of that you haven't done yourself at some point in your life. And so that's one reason we have to be so very careful about our words, our tongue, destroy our family, those closest to us, our neighbors. And I think that Jesus said, love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. I think that's what he said. Pretty sure. I think we're going to come to that shortly. As we transition from this part, this doesn't get easier. doesn't get easier because now I'm going to move from words that were Solomon and, and Solomon's advisors in the Proverbs to words of Jesus Christ himself. And, and those always get my attention more. And this one really gets my attention. So, in Matthew 12, Jesus is having one of his dialogues. Oh, I've got that marked here somewhere. Here we go. With those Pharisees. <laughs> And he is just correcting and teaching them. And, of course, at this point, just above the passage of verses I'm going to give you, he had done healing on the Sabbath, and they were railing on him about that. And, and then they accused him of being Satan. They accused Jesus of being Satan, and that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. When you ascribe anything from God himself, from Jesus Christ, who is God, to Satan, that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And these Pharisees had done that. It was, a, it was a stupid and evil, dumb conversation on their part, and Jesus kept wearing them out and talking them through law 
And so that's the, the background before we get down to these verses. So the context is he has been speaking with Pharisees and he calls them a brood of vipers. I mean, he, he did not mince words when it came to false religious leaders. Those who thought they were holy, those who thought they were godly, and yet they were really themselves of Satan. That permeates our nation today, and it permeates some of our churches. There are a lot of false teachers around, some are extremely popular. They look nice, and their, their, their message is good and soft and doesn't call out sin. And it's an interesting time to watch because if you study the New Testament, as I have, and you dig deep, you'll find that Jesus and then Peter, James, John, but especially John in his epistles, really start to call out false teachers. That's a sign of the time. That's a sign of the end. These false teachers becoming so um, pervasive, so popular, because out of that perhaps comes the, the Antichrist, the Antichrist. So anyway, I, get, I got a little sidebar there. But Jesus has called Satan. He rebukes him for that. And again, come on down. I'm in, again, it's in Matthew 12, calls him a brood of vipers. And in verse 35, 36, and 37, he said this. The good man brings out his good treasure, what is good. Excuse me, let me reread read that. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I want to call to your attention that I had given you the context he was talking to the Pharisees. And so as I was my study, I thought, well, maybe these words are just applying to the Pharisees and, and those people who are lost in that sense spiritually. And that's not, that's not the case. It's not the case. How do we know that? Listen to the words Jesus used in verse 36. But I tell you that every, every careless word that people, not just you Pharisees, he didn't turn it back on them. He said that every careless word that you people, that all of you use, you'll give an account in the day of judgment. But I cannot begin the transformation part of this message without making sure we understand the seriousness and severity of what Jesus said. I tell you that every careless word, how many careless words have you spoken? Oh my goodness, I've spoken many careless words. And sometimes I still do. I'm much more mindful of my words at this stage of my life. I wish I had been 20 years ago and 30 years ago and even as a, a, a child, but I was not. Every careless word, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. Now, there's a part of that has to do with people that are lost and saved, because those people whose words do not confess Christ as Lord and Savior, they are condemned. They are absolutely condemned, and they will spend eternity in hell. And those of us whose words confess Christ as Savior, we will absolutely spend eternity in heaven with God. We know from Romans 8.1, and we talked about this last week, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Hallelujah to that. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But, but, and hey, put a but on a great, wonderful verse like that. But what Jesus said here is, look, all these careless words that I still use, they won't affect my salvation. They will affect my reward in, in, in heaven. We, 
listen, there are rewards in heaven. I'm going to understand how it all works, but trust me, and everyone that knows the word of God teaches this way, and many teach their degrees of hell. But every careless word I will have to give an account for, and that just, that, that troubles me. I'm talking about careless words that do what we're talking about here, that act like these weapons of mass destruction when you still, in your anger, stab someone, pierce them, cut them, the things that the sharp tongue does. Those careless words I will have to give an account for standing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Gets my attention, and I hope it gets yours. We're going to wrap this up by looking at the transformation of the tongue from a weapon of mass destruction to a tool of healing and help and encouragement. Now, how do you do that? How in the world do you do that? We just talked about our tongues are pointed and sharp on the edge. It's just like a sword. That's what the analogy is. Just like a sword, the thrust of a sword. How do we make that transformation? Well, step one is just what I said a minute ago. And you are going to have to go there. There is no other way around this step one. There is not. It's just what I've said. It is you need to find yourself. First of all, you need to realize that this is you. That the man in the jumpsuit, your name is on that name patch. It is you. You need to recognize that. You need to own it. There are times that you have destroyed your wife or your husband. You've destroyed your children with your words. You've destroyed other people that you know and love. You've destroyed your neighbor, even your enemy. You've destroyed them, and you have to own that. Oh, God, forgive me for that. And he does. And that's the point of all transformation. It's always there. It always starts with repentance, with owning your sin, with owning your sin. That's the only thing that keeps lost people from Christ, keeps them lost. They won't own their sin and recognize that Jesus is the only way to save them out of that sin. Now, if you're in Christ, that's not your issue. But your issue is you are wallowing around in places you should not because of your tongue. And the only way to convert that from this weapon of mass destruction to an implement, a tool that the Holy Spirit can use for his glory and your good and the good of others is to recognize it, own it, repent, confess it, and lay it out there. There is no other way. There's no other way. John wrote late in his life, in 1 John 1, 9, he wrote that verse that most Christians know, and it applies here. It applies here as much as any other place. If we confess our sin, and that kind of tongue is sin, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who that was for certain, the writer of Hebrews in 1017 wrote this. This is the beauty of God, one of the beautiful, wonderful, incredible, glorious things about our God. He said this to Israel a number of times. You read a similar verse back in the Old Testament. And the writer of Hebrews said this in 1017. This is God speaking. Their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. I will remember no more. Man, I'm thankful for that. I'm so thankful my sins are not just forgiven, but they're forgotten, aren't you? I am. Whew, I am. 
The second part of this can be really, really hard as well. Where there's sin and you have destroyed someone or wounded them or perhaps something progressive, and I'm just um, speaking and sharing something right now that's all over you like it has been over me, you need to find people beginning in your family with your husband or your wife, whoever it happens to be, and you need to confess this. And you need to own it. Confess your sins to one another. I've had to go to my children before when they were younger and just say, you know what? Daddy was wrong. I, I shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have said that like that. These are difficult things and it's hard because we're full of pride, which is also a sin. But you see, you need to find people. If there's someone you can get to, get in front of, and there's something here, the Holy Spirit is stuck in your mind that's creating a problem because you've, you've got a wound and you've left somebody wounded, blood, wounded and bleeding on the side of the road. If you can find that person, then go and confess that sin and seek forgiveness and seek to repair that. That's hard stuff. Ooh, that's hard stuff. <laughs> but I look at it this way. If Jesus, if, if the Lord God can forgive my sin, through the death of Christ and his blood, then surely I can forgive the sins of others and, and ask to be forgiven. Now look at it. So we'll wrap it up with this. We're going to take these pieces of the verses I gave you before that were the, the words of mass destruction and turn them into the words of healing and hope. I'll begin with a, with a, a Psalm 141.3, right out of the mouth of David. And this is a great way to think about framing all this. David said, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Isn't that great? <laughs> Set a guard over my mouth. Boy, I need a guard over my mouth sometimes. And keep watch over the door of my lips. What's that? It's my mouth. The door of my lips right here. The door of my tongue. The door to my tongue. <laughs> David said, Lord, just keep watch over it and set a guard on it. Keep me from saying stupid things and hurtful things and all those things that make it destroy and kill people, make me a murderer. Guard my lips, guard my heart and mind. The other half of that verse we read in Proverbs 12, 18, the A part, the B part is this. The tongue of the wise brings healing. There are those thrusts of a sword, and the rash, the rash, harsh words, harsh words like the thrust of a sword. But the other part of it, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The other part of that verse says the tongue of the wise brings healing, healing. I want to healing words, healing tongue. In Proverbs 15, the other side of those verses that I gave you in verses 1, 2, and 4, a gentle answer turns away wrath. A gentle answer. A gentle answer always turns away wrath most of the time. Not all the time, but a gentle answer turns away wrath. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge pleasant. A soothing tongue is a tree of life. A soothing tongue. A soothing tongue. The word is, sounds good, feels good. A soothing tongue, a gentle tongue. It changed my whole, uh, kind of calmed me down here from my teaching with such zeal. But a soothing tongue and a gentle tongue, those just gentle words and soothing words, they're healing words. They bring healing. They bring healing. Where the need was, was there and Jesus needed to go after some of these people with those strong words, he did. And it pierced them. And he intended for it to do so. Because in doing so, sometimes we, he brings people to the point of knowing they need a Savior, knowing that they're sinners. 
And then there were many times when you, you would read his words and he's talking to people who are lost and not the religious leaders, but others. And it would be gentle, soothing words, calming words that drew people to him. And that's what Solomon's talking about. In Matthew 5:44, again, Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, the one little piece I carved out of that part of this verse, 5:44, Jesus gave us those instructions. Um, the, the first part of this verse was you've heard it said that you should, you know, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but that's not right. I want you to love your enemies. He said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. I wish he hadn't said that. That one troubles me more than anything else. Love your enemies and then bless them that curse you. That's a hard assignment. Lord, that's a hard assignment. But when Jesus gave instructions, they weren't suggestions. They weren't. Here's a book of suggestions on how to live the Christian life. They're commandments, not just 10 commandments. They're commandments throughout that Jesus, every spoken word of his to us as a directive to live is a commandment. And he said to love your enemies and bless them that curse you, to change the way you speak to them, not trying to destroy your neighbor or your enemy, as we talked about on the other side of that, which we do because we'll pick at things about them we don't like, whether it's politically, uh, other ways, uh, theologically, and just rail on that, and it becomes our sin. In, in Colossians 4, 6, Paul gave this amazing instruction to these people in this church. He said, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your conversation, let that tongue speak words that are full of grace and seasoned with salt, that you can address anyone's question or issue. That's a better way to do it, isn't it? Colossians 4, 6. Full of grace, seasoned with salt. And a verse I memorized many years ago, Ephesians 4, 29, Paul wrote this again to another church, one at Ephesus. And he said, this is good instruction. And, and I learned it in the context of men's groups and uh, talking to men about their language. And because uh, for whatever reason, men let the hold on to cursing and swearing, Christian men and pastors. And, and again, I guess because I was delivered from a foul mouth so many years ago, that's particularly um, annoying to me. I'm not their judge. But this verse is a great one. It says, do not let any... I memorize it. Not, do not let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth. Do not let any unwholesome words. And you know what unwholesome would mean? There's a, a list of things in there. Unwholesome. No unwholesome words come out of your mouth except words that are this. There's three things. Good for edification. Edification means what? Building up. No unwholesome words, just words that first edify, build up, uh, according to the need of the moment. In other words, timely words, spoken at a timely word, and that give grace to the hearer, that they're going to be glad they heard them. Let no unwholesome words come out of your mouth. You think about that. You look that verse up and you memorize that verse. That's Ephesians 4.29. My closing prayer is this, that the Lord will just do in your heart what he's doing again and again in my own. I know example here. I'm just a sinner saved by grace and one who has to do this more than I should, especially at my age and stage of life. And so must you. So I pray your Holy Spirit would just get in you and on you and over you about this and just bring this healing, 
Oh, my goodness. The healing is going to produce a freedom in your heart, a freedom in your life that you haven't felt for a long time. When you're at peace with people, you can be at peace with God. It's difficult to be at peace with God and be at war with people because of your words. And so let the Holy Spirit work on you and do that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to bless you. This is a great blessing. It's found in Numbers 6, Numbers 6, verses 23 to 26 in that, in that area. And the people of Israel were discouraged. You know, they're wandering around in the desert and uh, they keep disobeying God and they're punished and they have enemies and all this stuff going on. And they're wandering around in the desert, wondering why they're not in this promised land full of milk and honey. Well, that's a whole another series of messages we know is because of their sin and disobedience and distrust of God when he tried to take them there. But in spite of all that disobedience and in spite of the way they treated God, sometimes God said to Moses to tell Aaron to tell the children of Israel this. Now, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Before I let you off the hook, those of you who are still wrestling with this, rejecting it, whatever it is you're doing, I can't close without inviting you to receive Christ as Savior. You may wrestle with this issue of the tongue, but you've got even more issues because the sin in your life that remains that you continue to hold on to is worse than this tongue thrusting like a sword. This sin that remains in your life has condemned you to hell. It's your choice. You made the decision Every, cho every choice you've made of sin has been your own. You can't blame it on someone else. And right now, the decision to receive Christ, who alone can, can, can forgive you of that sin, is yours as well. So I pray, and I'm going to pray right now, that the Holy Spirit would help you to understand Christ is your only hope of salvation. And then you won't ever have to worry about any of these things going forward. You will just be joining in this band of brothers and sisters as we stand firm in such a world we live in, knowing that, again, we're, we're pilgrims, we're sojourners here. This is not our home, not our home. So don't get too comfortable here. Our home is heaven, is with God when Christ returns and he's coming soon. And we're thankful for that. And so, Father God, I just pray that anyone who's hearing this, who's watching this, who reads the message, that has not owned their own sin, has not bowed the knee to repent and confess, would do that right now. Not wait another day, not one more day. I may be the last messenger, Lord, that you send before them to, to ask him to plead with them to repent of their sins and invite you in as Savior. And so, Lord, I pray that right now some are receiving Christ and angels in heaven are rejoicing and we rejoice as well. And I give you all the glory and the honor because of who you are in the matchless and mighty name of Jesus Christ, my risen Savior. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. To learn more about how you can become a Christian or grow in your walk with the Lord and receive freely of all the biblically-based content we have created or donate to help keep this ministry going strong, go to onlyjesus.life. That's onlyjesus.life.